I hope the guy next door doesn't play any house music. <laughs> does he? Does he play no, he, house music? Actually, about once since I've been here. But I was just thinking, it will, no, he doesn't as a general rule, but he does sometimes. I was thinking today will be the day. That it's just goes, yeah, because it was the first day I got here. He was playing house music. And I was, you know, when you arrived somewhere, I thought, right, I'm going to write loads of music, which is what I wanted to do. It was like, boom. And I asked the, my host, oh, no, is this going to be the case every single day? And I was like, oh. Actually, it was just that day. It was absolutely fine. By house music, you mean like electronic? Yeah. Like, I mean, no, I don't mind at all. It's just that if you're trying to write some music yourself, it's more, I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to be in this garret composing music in silence. Because it said silence on the, uh, it said a really quiet street high up, you know, um, in Kreuzberg. And I thought, that is what I want. <laughs> when, is that the kind of composer you are, though? You're like, you need an escape, like a, a lodge in the woods or a loft in Berlin. And you like, you create this kind of like nice little bubble where you can sit down, like whatever version of meditation that you have to do that, then you're okay to write uh, music. I don't know that I'm always that type of composer, but it's a dream of mine. And I, whenever I go, I always think, actually, it'd be so nice just to get away from everything. Do you feel like, but what, how do you take an in information? I'm, I'm always curious about that because for me, it's like the constant bombardment of information that I'm like, okay, now I have enough information in my head that I can actually try and frame something and make music out of it. And then I, I get into these places where I've done residencies before where they where I've been in a room like this one, kind of like a very small room that's very silent. I'm not in a place where I have tons of friends and people that I know. And that kind of silence and bubble where they're like, okay, now it's time for you to create something. That freaks me out. I can't like I can't work in those conditions. I need some type of pressure barreling yeah. down on me. So you're the person you're like, okay, I have a piece to write. I'm going to Berlin. No, well... It's funny you should say that because I've never been that person. I mean, I've spent a lot of time basically in my study at home, like for 10 years. And actually, I'm becoming that type of person because I've, I always used to think, actually, I don't deserve to go and do all these things. I haven't written enough music. You know, I need to be sitting at my desk, writing music, writing music. But I think perhaps as I've become more confident with my technique or getting older and I've I've have learned to take time out and I've learned to go away and actually realize that this makes a massive difference and is better for your work basically. What, what do you mean I didn't deserve? I think I was always thinking especially for the first 5 5 years of composing solidly as in from about I say 22 to 27. You started late. Started it late. So yeah. just I mean just a little bit of background. I mean I I grew up in quite a musical family in the UK um, so there was always lots of classical music around me actually I played the cello my mother played the piano my father played the cello in an amateur orchestra in the UK there's a lot of wonderful um, amateur music making um, uh, choirs orchestras and I grew up with a lot of that so it was always around me but but then there was also this strong strand of it's an amateur profession and you're go, you know, you want to do science or you want to have a proper job type of thing. I that read was, your bio, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. It, <laughs> so, um, but so, the the thing is, I got to about, uh, I was always music, music, and then as well science, and then I got to about seventeen, and I chose all science A levels, and then I went and studied uh, mathematics and computing as an undergrad. What what, what made you make that decision? <laughs> I mean, I really loved science at school as much probably um, as music. I think I did do more, music was more my hobby or it was the thing that I would, if you like, relax with. And I did study mathematics. I was always interested in chemistry, physics. And uh, my family, a lot of them um, are academic scientists. So I grew up with that in the background. And I, I don't think I thought that much about it, actually. I just chose something that I was interested in and I went and started a three-year undergrad, which I completed. But I think during that time, I realised that perhaps I should have chosen music. Rather than perhaps I should have chosen music, that having done or studied mathematics, actually, I wanted to do music now. Did you ever hold a job in mathematics? Never a job, no. Okay, so... I mean, I've taught. I taught. As soon as I came out of undergrad, I taught um, some mathematics, but only for private students. Okay, so come into my house and I'll, I'll teach you yeah, how to yeah. do algebra. Exactly. You, yeah. you know, spoiled rich kid. Yeah. Something like that. I, I love bios where it was, I did this and it was a very kind of normal kind of path for me. And then something happened, I freaked out and I ended up in, I ended up doing music. I'm not saying you freaked out, 
But you you were saying that sometime towards your undergraduate, you realized yeah. this is what you do. The second you realized, did you automatically make the move, or like what's that process like of giving something up and following? It was in a kind my of ridiculous dream. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. in my third year. And I just thought, actually, I know I'm I'm supposed to be. Oh, a lot, a lot of my friends um, were going to the city, to London, to do finance and lots of things like this. And I was supposed to be doing this type of thing. I did do some work experience looking at um, finance industry in London. I, it wasn't for me. Definitely wasn't for me. I don't know. They seem to be uh, mainly sitting around checking whether Sainsbury's was going up or down a few points. And I actually you probably shouldn't put that in but why not why not yeah (laughs) okay fair enough yeah Yeah, it just seemed to I couldn't see the point of it for me and I missed music a bit I think and I actually I don't think there's anything other than I think I decided I would try composing I remember my third year I spent a lot of time I wrote quite a lot of music I was advised by Robert Saxton who I was at Oxford University and he's a composition and music um, fellow there professor and I had a couple of lessons with him at the time and he was very encouraging. Is there a scene that you somehow have to find a way to integrate yourself into at that point like okay you make this decision I'm not going to do this I'm going to I'm going to be a composer and you just start taking lessons and writing music or do you start trying to get performances and like what's the next like what's the next step after because I really don't know because I kind of grew up in it right? Oh that's interesting yeah well, for me, the next step was, I mean, I finished my degree and then I came back. I'm from the north of England, so uh, Liverpool based. And I, I mean, I didn't have any money, so I couldn't really just hang around. I needed to do something to to earn some money. So for me, it seemed to make sense to just go back to where I came from. And because, I mean, I had I had some musical contacts around there, maybe write some music for people based around there and also to teach something. I have taught anything and everything so I could I did teach um, some mathematics and some physics and chemistry to, but always to private students never in like a classroom um, no setting. actually um to start with it was all science-based but then I was really lucky because again I noticed this job going um for teaching peripatetic violin and cello and string instruments in schools all around the Liverpool area so I went for it and I got it. So I actually was teaching in primary schools and in secondary schools, students who who were starting string instruments. And that was actually, that was a brilliant experience. I did that for a very long time. Okay, describe that. How long did you, <laughs> how long did you do it for? Um, probably at least, at least six or seven years. Oh my God. I mean, I did as well. I mean, it, this is a Liverpool Music Support Service because, I mean, Liverpool is incredibly lucky that, um, a lot of the schools in the area can receive free music tuition. And I think that's an amazing... Why? Why? <laughs> yeah, well, did the city just decide we're going to um, be an artsy actually, city? Actually, it was something that was around in all of um, the UK in the 70s. I mean, all all students received um, could receive free music lessons. I don't quite know why. Okay, so so you got paid yeah. by the city to go around and yeah. teach string instruments. What was the, what was the age range? Um, from about five or six until 18 yeah Yeah, absolutely such a training I mean really really if you have to teach someone from the start how to start music you know I mean I teach composition now and I'm sure I learned so much from this experience okay what did you what did you learn from teaching composition to college students from like from like five-year-old like violin patience (laughs) and sometimes you have to explain things in several different ways and quite often you can really I think it's still at at college level you can be thinking about lots of things and you can explain something in a really complex manner which you've been thinking about perhaps for ages and you just say yeah you just throw it out there and you expect um somebody to understand it immediately and I don't and yeah but if you're with a like a five-year-old it's quite obvious that they don't understand it I mean you know they can't do whatever you're saying and it's so it's breaking it right down to something com- one step at a time and it's really an interesting and helpful process I reckon and that helps you teach composers now mm-hmm. definitely you did, you did that for six years yeah were you would you like describe the job to me did you have a studio did you like go around traveling to really like traveling, traveling on the bus and on the train um sometimes just a couple of hours a day and then, I mean, by this point, because what I wanted to do was making an, enough money so I could um, study postgraduate composition. Oh, th- was this yeah. part of like a bigger plan? 
plan that you have. Like, I'll do this yeah. for a while, and that'll support me, and it'll also won't take so much of my time where I'll be able to... I wanted to go into music. So I've always... After I finished my mathematics and computing degree, I thought, okay, I will start writing music. First of all, I need a portfolio of music so I can actually apply to some kind of postgraduate college. And actually, I chose the Royal Northern College of Music, which is a wonderful place based in Manchester, not so far from where I was in Liverpool. So that as well contributed to it because I was living in Liverpool. And then I thought, I mean, I was teaching, as I said, private students, um, science and maths, and I gradually transferred that over to teaching violin and cello and, and conducting a little string orchestra as well on Saturday mornings in Liverpool. And then as well, they uh, gradually they asked me to do some composition projects, which I also love doing um, for primary schools and secondary schools all over this Liverpool area. And at the same time, I was writing music and trying to get performances. I always advise my students, write for people you know, definitely. Because there's something, it's wonderful to write for people um, who you know personally, because you know something about the way they make music. And I think that really helps, certainly helps me with my composition and it helps in all types of ways. So I grew up, my father played in the Liverpool Mozart Orchestra. It's a really fine amateur orchestra based in in, um, Liverpool area. And I think they've been going for, they recently celebrated their 60th anniversary. I was fascinated by an orchestra and he would take me along to rehearsals and I would listen and learn. So when I came back to the area, I actually asked him if I could write them a piece. That was in about 2002, I think. Okay, yeah, not too long ago. Yeah, Yeah. and so they said, well, they, they allowed me to, which was nice, and then they played it. So that was... That was a great experience. Was it always working for orchestras or like... No, I mean, it's funny um, because I, actually I've spoken recently to lots of people and people seem to find it the different way around from me that they start by writing a lot for smaller chamber ensembles and then they get to write for orchestra. Whereas for some reason, I've always had orchestras in my mind and in my life because of this link. And so I've seemed to have written a lot of works for orchestra first not always for orchestra but a lot for orchestra is that limiting in some, somehow but everything is limiting i know every, every everything is limiting but i'm speaking a very specific type there are orchestral composers mm-hmm. right i mean composers yeah. that write mostly for orchestras that's a very strange world to exist in there's a lot that you there's a lot of political stuff you have to deal with Basically, I'm not just talking about contracts and getting rights to have it on your website and everything like that. I'm talking about the actual mechanism, structure and mentality of making a coordinated event with that many people. So how do you deal with that? And that's the kind of thing. Do I mean, like, do you find that limiting? Like, what if you want to do something crazy? Yeah, I think then I would do something crazy. I think I love the fact that there are so many people involved, actually. And I love a sort of mass a mass sound and a mass experience. And I mean, I'm I'm not a composer who doesn't like the concert hall. I mean, I love the concert hall as well. I love the experience of going to hear an orchestra live. I mean, I've been experimenting. I particularly like um, a mass silence as well. I just find that infinitely fascinating. What do you mean by a mass silence? Like a well, pause in the orchestra yeah, or like that like moment? Like an orchestra before. piece and with absolute silence as a real part to the music I, I just find maybe the collective experience of an entire of, of a crowded room with everyone being quiet and like a real concentration I love that but equally I also like the other extreme something huge and a massive sound so I like the extremes of the orchestra I mean sure but are there extremes to an orchestra you know what I mean by that? Like the bandwidth of what they're actually able to do in the grand scheme of like the landscape of the composers writing today is actually pretty narrow. Yeah, I like, think that's you fair. Know, like it's very difficult for them to get them to do unconventional things. And that's what I mean by like... Are you as just in the na- players, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Or are you, as in the players, yeah. Like are you just naturally kind of 
in that narrow oh that sounds i don't mean it like that like do you exist naturally within like an orchestral medium like what your sensitivities and where you like to go and that's why it works out so well i think or that, or, or yeah. is that something like okay i'm doing this that means this other thing that i kind of want to do i it just won't work for an orchestra so i just have to do this instead yeah it's in, i think that um i have a real love of the orchestral repertoire and i think that my music definitely takes something from that um and I want to pursue this. I really enjoy writing um, for orchestra. I think, you know, I'm writing other works as well. So, for example, I'm writing a piece of music theatre. And certainly, I will approach it completely differently. I think I'm the type of composer that likes very much to be given something to deal with. And to use... Uh, how do I say it? I like to to take the qualities of what I've been given and to enhance them rather than... Like, I won't necessarily take an orchestra and try to make it... I, li- I think I like to take either the orchestra or the in- the soloist individual qualities and push them further for them, if you like. Each orca- I'd, I'm not sure I want this to go out, but basically each orchestral piece I'm writing, I'd say I push the boundaries more and more. Um, why don't you want that to yeah, go out no, that's I'm, amazing I'm, okay right? yeah i mean that's that's okay. a, that's what you should be doing yeah. right and i think but i think it's okay good i think it's absolutely natural as well because the more i learn about the orchestra the more i feel i can do with it and i and i'm not sure i agree with you actually that you that it's completely now i mean you can almost get anything from it you know you could write anything for it i mean yeah they might not play it but i mean in time they might yeah, you know, over over time, yeah. If a composer gets enough reputation, they'll do that. But I'm I'm talking about a that's not a guarantee. Nope. And it's very it's you know, far. But it from wouldn't a be a reason for not doing it. Do you know what I mean? I think it would. Be, I, for me, for me yeah. personally, I think it would be a reason for not doing okay. it. Like oh, over the years, I'm more kind of focused on the occasion for almost a little bit like what you were talking about, like. This is the occasion. This is the type that, you know, this is what's going to be on the program. This is the people who are there. And I'll do everything to make that occasion. What are the positive and negative aspects of that ensemble and or orchestra playing? I mean, I haven't written an orchestral piece in years, but yeah. al- along those lines. And for, and for me saying, I'm just going to do this because I want to do it. And they might not do it right. But in 50 years, I'm going to be the next lock. And, you know, like that's an, e- that's a, that for me, that's way, yeah. way too egotistical. And I'm like, just let me make the, just let me make the moment good. And uh-huh. that's basically what I'm getting paid for if I'm getting paid, but that's what I'm being asked to do anyway. If it's, uh, you know, they're like, we want to play your piece on this concert. I'm not saying I wouldn't push the boundaries, but I would, I would keep that in mind, the, on the ensemble and the occasion. And that would be the priority and not in time, it will work. It's interesting you know. because I think the priority for me is not so much the occasion or the ensemble anymore, but more what I'm trying to do with each piece, what's going on in each piece. I think it used to be more that. Like five years ago, I was much more concerned with the occasion. But I, but yeah. I, th- I, I don't I'm think not I saying am I don't, anymore, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying I don't have personal mm. boundaries. I'm just, or, or personal boundaries that I want to push. I'm just saying that working based on keeping an occasion in mind and also kind of staying loyal to those things is possible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So give me an example of you're like, okay, for each piece I write, I feel like I'm pushing the boundary. You have to give me a example of that. Okay. Now. okay. Um, for each piece I write. Well, you don't have to, I guess no, you okay. just walk out of the room and leave, but right. <laughs> well, I suppose um, this calculus of the nervous system piece again, though, when I'm writing it, my soul into, intention is not I'm going to push the boundary with this piece it's more I'm writing it and then I have to write it the way I'm writing it because it's the only way it'll work and then looking back I think actually yeah that did push the boundary more perhaps than the piece I wrote a few years ago but in what way like what in terms of form in terms of the shape of the piece and language as well so yeah I mean I mean with this piece calculus it's very there's a lot of space in it, a lot of time yeah, in yeah, silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I really am interested in this.
whenever like there's a big space of silence, I'm like, oh, that's such a risk that like um, someone could cough. Yeah. Oh, and someone, they do. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the in the, in, the <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in the recording that I'm probably gonna have to play on this. Yeah. Like the not the BBC one. What we'll see. Yeah. That there was like silences in those. There's coughs in those silences. There were like there was shuffling and everything like that. I'm like, how do you take that? And do did you take that into account? How do you how do you deal with that? Are you aware well, that that's a risk? I am aware, but I mean, I like that risk. And also, there's something about that's another reason why I really enjoy the large ensemble because you have the conductor there, and I think they have some control. And I would like them to have some control over the entire shape of the piece and the and the silences. So I would hope, I mean, the piece is there to, to be performed. It's not the same each time and that the conductor would have some control and do something about the silences. I remember um, in one of the performances, it was interesting because we were discussing this because sure, like a, maybe an orchestral, a usual orchestral audience perhaps doesn't know how to deal with those silences sometimes. And I mean, one thing we were discussing was that for the conductor to be not to be stopping with their arms, but to be completely with their arms out like this, so that it oh, just to give visually, to, yeah, yeah, just to give them a signal, uh, a visual signal that yeah. this isn't over. Don't clap. Yes, yeah, don't clap because that's a scary thing as well. I've seen that happen several times, not not in a piece of mind, but you know um, that an audience has started to clap. So I think um, it's to do with the performance as well, and I would like to think that you could grasp an audience with silence. What, where was this performed originally? In Vienna, right? This or? is performed... Yeah, well, it's been performed in uh, two places. It's been performed in the Phoenix Concert House in one of the performances, yeah. which is much smaller than the Royal Albert Hall, where it was performed for in the BBC Proms last year. I mean, there were totally different performances, and they're quite different lengths as well. It, not At the beginning, it's... Not with Fermata, but it is in one place, like at the end. What I'm asking is, like, how much does the conductor have as a choice of how long a silence is going to be? Well, that was part of the piece. And certainly towards the end, the conductor has a lot of choice. Um, if you look at, I mean, look at the final page. So. This is no, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to, oh, no, I probably can't even put the score up online of this, right? Because it's published. You can put a couple of pages up of it, yeah? I'll put up a couple, yeah. of, maybe like the last two pages or something, just yeah. so people can see what we're sure. talking about. But yeah, I'm looking at it and it says silence six seconds, silence eight seconds. So you have seconds, but in reality, I'm sure the conductor is going yeah. for a feel and he's not like starting a timer in his head counting to six. He's yeah. he's like, okay, I'm just going to feel this. And it's much scarier if oh you've God. got yeah. a, an audience of um, 5,000. I mean, that's quite scary. Yeah, that you, and it's really hard to get people to commit to that silence yeah. too. I remember a couple of performances I had where I I play with dancers like we improvise together. It's it's me. I'm on the accordion. We improvise together, and we were at this residency. And we were performing for a group of people in the town, and it was kind of like an old stodgy audience for us. We normally perform in Berlin. It's a lot younger people. This was like old people from the town, and there was a there were parts in the piece where we were just like let's just hold a silence and pause, and. You could just feel the disdain and hate coming from them <laughs> as we're like not doing anything in front of them for long periods of times. I mean, like twenty seconds, like anywhere to like to like a minute or something. Yeah. And there's so much of you that's just like, oh my god, let's just break it and go on because this is so horrible. But you have to be like, no, I'm staying here for the amount of a lot of time that I, I chose. Yeah. I really like that. I mean. Yeah. I love the way that feels, actually. Mm. Even though I know it's like hate and disdain yeah. that's coming towards me, I'm like, guess what? You're just going to deal with it. You're going <laughs> to deal with like that nothing's going to happen. Yeah. So it was like that for this orchestral piece. Yeah, too. it was scary. Yeah. Did you get any feedback from the audience? Like, what were those pauses for? Or like, what kind of, you know, <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Because no, I, like, well, it's I got... a risk. And if people don't take it well, then they're like, why did you do that? You know, I, I mean, I got very good feedback from, but this is just, this is from people I know. So I can't really count that. Well, maybe I can, but just say, I mean, in terms of reviews, I got very mixed, some very positive and some extremely negative. So I think that was, I like that. I think that's fine. Yeah. How do you know if an orchestral piece goes well? I'm not sure you do for many years, maybe. Well, like, it, it depends how you mean go or goes well, because there's, does it go well as in, are you happy with how you composed it? And then there's, was it performed well? No, no, I'm I'm talking about as far as, I don't know. I'm not part of this world, so I kind of yeah. like don't know it. 
but one would think that the stakes are very high. People invested a lot of money in it. You know, you know, there's going to be a big audience because it's a big hall. It's an institution that presumably has, you know, has been around for a while. Like, I don't know any new orchestras that are popping up. All of them are very old. And um, as far as like career trajectory, you want it to go well because if it doesn't then <laughs> it, it's something out of very you know it's not a flutist in a cafe that like forgot you know bar four of the piece that you wrote like yeah. the stakes are very low for me i kind of understand how you build and exist in that world but i've never been in a situation where it's like oh my god this did this huge thing go well is am i going to be able to get another thing because of this thing that i don't know mm-hmm. if it went well or not that's what i mean like how do you judge that did this hurt me or help me that is so difficult a question. Yeah, um, I know, I know, I know. I think the only way I judge it is if I think I'm pleased with the piece and that I've progressed somehow as okay. a composer. I think that's the only thing I can do. And I think, again, I mean, so they've been playing core repertoire for many, many years, but they play your piece once. I think I've only had the experience of an orchestra playing a a bit of one of my pieces like a piece twice the same orchestra and it was already better so I just don't think I'm in a position to be able to judge and this goes for pretty much not just orchestral music but I don't think composers should judge their music on the first performance because I I just know I've been in a situation a couple of times where I've heard a piece of mine and I've been really thinking that's just dreadful I'm gonna have to change it and ugh I'm going to have to check, there's something wrong. And then, and I haven't had time or whatever, and I haven't changed a piece. And then I have heard it performed once just brilliantly. And I just thought, well, do you know what? Actually, that wasn't my fault. And so you've got to really try with whatever you're, however you're composing it and do your best job and then just wait a while. I think maybe, I don't know yet because I haven't waited. Would you ever wait, but you're saying there's this period of waiting and then what, like after three performances, you're like, okay, now I know that, this section is weak and I need to change it. Yeah. There are some pieces I don't like of mine and I really won't have them performed again. And then there are some pieces, I know it sounds strange, but I don't ever absolutely love listening to my music being performed. That doesn't sound strange. It <laughs> sounds completely normal <laughs> yeah, in every I way. Just, I, mean, I mean, I actually really enjoy going to the, the rehearsal. I find that really interesting and trying things out. But actually, when it comes to performance, I usually feel quite sick and just think, Ooh. but anyway, um, yeah, there are some pieces that I can have performed again and that's fine. I can cope with listening to them. But other other than that, you know, there are some pieces I really don't want to hear again. Um, but I suppose every composer feels like that. You're kind of um, uh, either a genius or a maniac if, <laughs> like, if you don't feel that way, right? I mean, yeah. that's a normal human thing to feel for something that you made. Obviously, you're going to be a different person from piece to piece, yeah. even though it might be an incremental change. I feeling it must be really interesting, say, in, you know, when you're 60 or 70, to listen to a piece you wrote when you were 30. I really would be interested in that experience if anyone's playing my music at that stage. You know, I mean... I would, ima- I would imagine that there's a certain level of indifference. Like, yeah. even if there's something that you're, you're unhappy with it in the piece, you're like, who cares? I was 30. You yeah, know? it's not my fault like, anymore. It, like if, yeah, it, yeah. If somebody if somebody's sent me a tape of me giving my opinion on something when I was three, three, I'd be like, it doesn't count. What are you talking <laughs> about? I was a you know I was a baby. No, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So have you getting be- have you gotten better at judging whether or not it's you or whether or not it's the ensemble? Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, you said you said it took about three performances, but I would imagine over time you're like, you know what, that's just them, and yeah. it'll take three well, performances before they actually learn how to play it well. Well, whether judging or not, I think I've got better technically, at least I hope so, over the years. And so I feel perhaps a bit more in control of what I'm trying to do now than I did, well, five years ago or whenever. So I think you just have to trust in what you're trying to do and then in time you might think actually no i got that bit wrong what i mean is i try to go with what i thought rather than the performance if that makes sense if the performance is a million miles from what i was imagining actually that situation just doesn't happen so it's never for, like your your conception of a piece in the reality is never that far increasingly less so i i, I always ask people who say something along those lines, what would happen if you would come up with a new idea 
and you don't know how to technically execute it. Actually, I mean, I'm on one level, I'm trying to come up with new ideas like this on, say, in one parameter, one musical parameter. But usually when I'm doing that, I tend to keep a quite a strict control in lots of other parameters. So, all right, a better way to put it is I'm not surprised usually because usually if, I, if I'm trying something out some way, I've accounted for that. So does that make sense? Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. So you're like, okay, so I have this wild and crazy idea that it's only going to be 10% of the piece. Yeah. And the other 90%, I'll know what I'm doing. And worst comes to worst, is just 10% bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, but I, I I actually think people should be trying out lots of new things. Okay, so what hap- but, you, but you're not like a crazy leap type no, of thing. But like, that's, what's this going to be? No, oh, my God. And then all no, of a sudden but, you're like, what have I done? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's not my nature, though. Okay. I think that I'm not interested in writing absolutely crazy music that I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. I'm certainly interested in experimenting in certain directions. But I'm also, I mean... I just the way I work, I'm very interested in the whole shape of the whole piece at all the t- all times that, you know, I, I design it almost like an architect, I think. And I, I love that. That's what I'm interested in, the, the architecture of the piece. So what do you mean the architecture of the piece? You mean like a solidly, structurally good form? What's a good form? Well, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about like in the sense of architecture then. Like this yeah. buttress holds up this thing and, you know, that you think of it in those terms. No, um, more like a graph of various parameters and various shapes and also several principles. So there's often an element of chance in what I'm doing, but it's along very specific or very well, well-defined principles. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, but you have um, to define those principles well now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do yeah. define them well. And I... Um, what you want me to say? What yeah, yeah, yeah. Be. No, that's okay. what I mean. Like you giving me a definition. Okay. Right now. Um, this clarinet quintet Duxwanger is like a game. You know, I, I used to play a lot of chess as a child. Um, You're the six-time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, oh, what's on your bio? Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Um, I wasn't thinking. I think I was thinking about a sort of five by five grid, and there were certain. So you could move, you know, certain ways through this grid, and if you move it. You, something changes or doesn't change that type of thing so they're principles but there's chance involved i I quite enjoy that because there's a really strong overall sense of wholeness well when you say chance do you mean the choices you make of the things you're allowed to do and then you write down the piece of music and the piece of music is not by there's no chance in the music anymore or do you mean that you've actually calculated into the music that certain chance things are going to happen to create a variation from performance to performance. I mean that there's chance in my compositional process. Methodology. Yeah, methodology, okay. yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, there's not chance in my music ever, as in um, different ways to, to path to take or oh, okay. I, I've, I've not, that's not what I do yet. Okay, yet? Yeah, Why don't well, you, are you going to, do you well, say I yet? Might. Like, yeah, I, I, I never rule anything out. Do you have like a real desire to go there? I have a desire to experiment more with chance. I, I mean, I wasn't, I'm not thinking of going there yet. I recently had a piece, it's my first venture into electronics, where I was working with a guy you might know, Sam Salem. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah, him. Yeah. Recently, I had, um, I was asked to write a piece using um, sounds from the Manchester Town Hall Bells and uh, an ensemble, Manchester Camerata. And I worked with a sound artist, Yannick Schaefer, who I know, and he does a lot with vinyl. And with Sam, uh, who, as you know, is an acousmatic composer and fic- and does fixed electronics. And so there was improvisation in this piece. That's why I'm talking about chants. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so basically, Sam captured the sounds from the bells and then we worked closely on making uh, a set of vinyls, fixed vinyls, sounds. And then... I wrote the ensemble part, and as I said, Sam heavily influenced these. Um, He's so completely different from you, right? Yes, he so, is. Yeah. So, what? So, was there was there friction or no? Not fun? at all. It was, it was really interesting. Actually, I mm. learned a lot. Well, not from my part, anyway. Yeah, no. Um, but, I mean, you sure. can sense with each other. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, actually, what I found again, this is a case. This piece needs the balance between everything. It's really difficult. There was a the fix, a fixed recording playing throughout, and then there was also Yannick improvising 
to quite strict instructions, much stricter than he would be used to, if you see what I mean, although much less strict than what I'm used to alongside the ensemble. So you were saying percentage-wise, normally when you write something... Actually, I think I threw out this number. 10%, what am I doing? I don't know, 90%, like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Actually, this is going to so, be so different. Yeah, yeah. So so give me the percentage here now. Okay. I mean, I'm asking you to kind of, like, say, throw out numbers flippantly. <laughs> and they don't really mean anything. No. But right. obviously, the way you're describing it, the proportions are different than mostly I know what I'm doing, 10%. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. I mean, I feel I knew what I was doing ensemble-wise. And I gave reasonable specifications to Sam. And we worked closely. But definitely, Sam created those sounds, the electronic sounds. Okay. And then I would say, in terms of balance, personally, at the moment, we got it. It could be better. I mean, it's not right yet, as in, in performance balance. It's been performed once. Um, and also, in terms of improvisation, at least 30 more, 40% was given away. More, I'd say. What do you think? About the, I mean, I'm asking you to like, I like, I guess judge the people who were performing it now. But when you gave it to them, were you thrilled? You're like, oh, I never would have imagined that. Thank you for taking the thirty to forty percent and doing something I could have never done. Or you're like, next time, you only getting five percent because yeah. I don't trust you. You know? Do you know? Again, I actually can't answer this question because this was such a different experience. And I've heard it performed once. And in fairness, it was in a really dry acoustic, you know, and we didn't have lots of time to get the balance of ensemble to the um, fixed electronics to the live. So I reckon, again, you'd have to ask me in about five performances. Okay. All you know, right. And then yeah, I'll yeah, be able yeah. to say, but I mean, certainly from Yannick and from um, Sam, I have, I mean, I've just learned so much. It's really interesting as well, because that experience is directly influencing my composition of my next orchestral piece. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so interesting. But, but yeah. that, that's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about, yeah. though. Like, that, And that's great because now you had this moment where you weren't, I don't want to say safe, but like you weren't going, I mostly know what I'm doing and then I kind of don't know what I'm doing. Therefore, the amount of space I can evolve with is very, very incremental. And then all of a sudden you get presented with this medium where it's like, just by the nature of the thing, you, you have to give up more percentage of what you know what you're doing because you don't exist in that medium or you, you're you not experienced in it. Yeah. And all of a sudden you get this thing, you're like, wow, this really changes the way I think about this other thing. I think One it's makes you grow essential. better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. which one do you like? Which one do you like better? And even more importantly in this, and I'm, I'm, I don't mean this in a cynical way, but which one do you think is better for your career almost? I don't mean okay, specifically, no. when I say you, I meant like us in general. Yeah. Like make well, it... it depends. Again, it depends. Do you mean the career now or do you mean the career as in which one's better for your music is more interesting. What, I mean, let me throw out the theory that I'm, I feel like I'm pointing at is that when you say I, I only take small risks in a larger context of I always know what I'm doing. That for me is a, is a smart thing to do if you want to be a professional composer. And I mean like just writing music, not getting most of your patronage from university or I don't know, any other type of side job. That's a smart thing to do because you're, you need to, I don't want to say marketing yourself, but like you need to have a definitive thing that you do that's stable, that big institutions with a lot that are going to throw a lot of money at it. Like say she does this, She's very, very good at it. We like that. We want something like that. Call her up on the phone. You know, Emily, we want a piece. Hey, great, you know. And then because you have this model of I mostly know what I'm doing and the amount of experimentation is going to be small in comparison to that, that you are more or less giving them something that they expect. On the other hand, the amount that you've grown as a musician has been possibly smaller than if you had experimented more within that piece. But then there's the other way, which is the situation you were in working with Sam, which is, I don't know what's going to happen, giving away 30 to 40% to improvisers. I've never worked with electronics before. He's the composer that made the sounds that I'm on, and I'm working with the ensemble. 
And then you give me this answer. It's vastly changed the way I think about my orchestral. Like that's maybe that's a very, very big leap you took as a composer because of that thing. But if someone says, Emily, we want a piece from you and you give something that was 30 to 40% improvising and then some other composer is also adding to it and it's vastly different from what they expected, then that could be the beginning of you getting a a reputation of you're not a reliable composer. Maybe it's not so safe that we throw, (laughs) we throw money at her. So that's, that's what I mean. And I'm like wondering if you could like speak to that a little bit. Okay, sure. You've got to make a living somehow. That's one thing I would like to say, first of all, I think that you should always, the, the piece I've just written with Sam was written with for an orchestra. And so I'm not certain that they were completely happy with it. If I'm, I'm being honest about it. So I think oh, it was I a thought this was for risk. like a small ensemble well, thing. No, it's oh, an orchestra. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I mean, I would say that maybe I was, I was certainly doing something that they have never, ever come across. Before I completely. Oh, I wish I'd known that. Okay. Yeah. So you did yeah. have the balls to like do yeah. take a risk with an orchestra. Okay. Cool. Okay. So continue. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. It's absolutely fine. Um, but there's a fair point to what you're saying. But I would also argue, in a contrary way, that actually, I mean, I really enjoy writing for the big orchestra and and I also respect and love the sounds that they've spent years maturing and learning how to play beautifully um so actually in some of my music I'm absolutely totally want to use that sound so genuinely I'm happy to write for them and I think that that also adds being able to do that and being able to have the quality of that performance adds something massively to something more experimental. So I think it works both ways. Um, and I would like to see, you know, I want to continue writing both extremes, if you like. Does that make any sense? That makes sense. So this was, so this is with an orchestra, you did this thing with Sam, yeah. right? So, so, I mean, it was, yeah, it's a chamber orchestra. It's not a symphony orchestra yet. How did it go? I don't think. I'm it, sorry, I'm asking no, you no. to do something like, like maybe not smart, but like, I don't I don't know. I mean, how did it go? You mean the thing with Sam? The performance where you gave up control with an orchestral piece. Well, I think it went, I personally think it went really well. But then again, I think Yannick and Sam and myself have got a lot of work to do to pursue this if we're going to. Because, again, it's a bit like starting something. In five years, you'll be a million times better at it, I hope. So this was the beginning of another thing for you. Well, I hope so, because I I really enjoyed the experience. And as I said, I mean, the way I work is that I'm keen to gain as much input from different sources as I can. I think that is so important not to stop learning. Actually, yeah. yeah. I mean, I saw you at, we met at Darmstadt, yeah, right? Yeah, we did, yeah. Now, you want to talk about the aesthetic opposite. I assume, like, I met, like, just from anybody who's there, I make assumptions of the type of music they write, and I would never have guessed you wrote the type of music that you were writing because we were at this, like, hardcore German modernist new music festival, and surprising so yeah yeah i believe that you were you know you go to different places definitely and yeah. get different types of information yeah um, and i think that yeah absolutely i really want to um gain as much information as i can it's sort of the more informed you are the more interesting you become hopefully as an artist i think what was the what was the last thing you took in that you were like i've never been here before oh my god this is amazing this changes everything actually um one of the reasons i'm in berlin now is because i really wanted to see the ring cycle live so I, the, the last thing i took in was goethe demering oh okay <laughs> so i mean what could you have possibly learn from the ring please don't write a three-part uh no. opera <laughs> like, no i won't um what could i possibly learn I, i'm i wanting to write opera and i wanted to see it i never experienced it live and i really wanted to yeah it was just goethe demering it wasn't no it was the all four can you really do that, though? Can your brain concentrate on... Yeah. What I was amazed about, though, was that in um, Goethe Demmerung, which is, what, four and a half hours plus the interval, um, there was, like, a seven-year-old kid sitting next to me all the way through it, watching it, and very happily watching it. Really? And he yeah, was taking was... it in? Yeah. I mean, I, I was pretty sure his um, father or mother was it was one of the in the chorus or something because every now and again he would do a little wave at the oh, stage really? which is very sweet yeah. <laughs> oh my god oh. but I was just thinking that is amazing just think, imagine what his concentration is going to be like when he's 20 you're really fighting against the current though when you're talking about 
developing a brain that's capable of like long form concentration i think so the ring so what did you like what did you get out of that First of all, this is the only place that they were doing it? You couldn't go no, anywhere no. else? No, no, well, they were doing it in Common Garden, but it was very, very expensive. Very okay. expensive. And yeah. actually, I wanted an excuse anyway to come to Berlin. I've always wanted to have an excuse to... This seemed like a good excuse. What did I get out of it? Well, at first, I mean, I loved the music of The Ring. I grew up listening to it and and I find it impressive. I find the scale of it impressive. I mean, it is impressive to, to write something that's 16 hours and to think that people will perform it and then they really are. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, oh my, this I mean is that's happening. just you yeah. know, that's just amazing. And to think of something over such a long stretch of time as well. Yeah, I th- I think that's impressive. What well, are you work are you are you thinking about working with those long stretches of time? I am interested in writing longer longer pieces, yeah. I think it's something I mean I've done this particularly with orchestral music i feel like i'm writing longer and long i'm trying to write longer pieces just because it's a challenge and also you know everyone wants five or ten minutes or something like this maybe at this time in history we're used to or in western culture we're sort of used to listening to about five minutes and whatever yeah, exactly but, the but thing I, that yeah. I was complaining about with me yeah you know, like. yeah but i i really like i think it might even be to do with you know as I said, when I was a kid, I was playing chess for like long stretches of time, you know, so like six hours. Yeah. You'd be sitting there concentrating on something. And I really enjoy concentrating for that long. So I really enjoy four hours of opera as well. <laughs> you think it comes from chess? Yeah. I think it's a good training to be sitting every weekend in some chess tournament thinking. You were like a hardcore chess kid, huh? I was, yeah. <laughs> were you like a were you like a wunderkind no, or something like that? Like so. this, like this. No, I mean I was all right, but I wasn't by any stretch of imagination the best. No. But I mean, you're like six time, like you know, UK chess champion. I did, yeah, but I mean, I don't think it was. I was okay. I don't think I was any more than an average type of chess player in the chess fraternity. And you were definitely in the chess fraternity. Yeah, I was as a kid. Yeah, I left it at about. 1819 I think why did you leave it what made you get into that just well you could say but I mean it, I just my father taught me how to play chess and I, I loved it you know if you learn anything like if you you know if you play music there are things to do like in an orchestra or whatever but it's the same with chess there, were, there, there seemed to be loads of chess tournaments around uh, so I went to some what do, you, what do your what do your parents do? I'm sorry, this conversation is kind of going everywhere. But like, what are your? <laughs> oh, like, all right. My father's a, an academic, a medic, and my mother was a is a pianist, but was a you know trained as a, a concert pianist. Sitting down and concentrating for that long, mm-hmm. that's an important skill to learn, and I I agree with that. But the actual type of intelligence that chess teaches you, do you think that's applicable to anything else outside that's... of chess? Because I always I always wonder that because I've seen some. Like, oh my God, he's one of the best chess players. You know, there's a profile him on TV or you read about him in a magazine. And then he starts, then they do an interview with him. And I'm like, this guy's not that, like, he's kind of an idiot, actually, when he talks (laughs) about politics and stuff. And I'm like, so maybe chess is just like this little insular, like, world of its own logic that actually, that you shouldn't assume just because someone is good at that, that they're good at, like, it's because they have this huge, amazing brain. It's only because they've like they're like an athlete, literally. It's like, like they an athlete, train yeah. they train their muscles to do something. I think it's a sort of like a pattern recognition, you know, and a, and you need a lot lot of memory to take in the theories, particularly about openings, and and you need to do a lot of work at it actually as well to learn. I mean, I think really fine chess players are always learning what, what are called novelties, so new um, moves that are suddenly becoming part of the theory. Um, is it is the field still evolving that way? Oh yeah. Way? So it's like oh, Absolutely. I discovered a new type of situation you can yes. get out of. And then if you weren't, if you don't know all those new situations, then that's it. You know, you might as well. So I think top level, and this is certainly not me, by the way, but top level chess um, players, I think they have a team of people working on these situations. Holy crap! It's a yeah. really, it's a really big. Uh, um, so it's really not the singular mind. Well, if you have but a team of people is, working is on it. I, I think that a lot of um, chess players I know were brilliant mathematicians. I think oh, there's a, there's a, I think there's a similar vein, some kind of in, a certain type of intelligence, perhaps, and also like a a pattern spotting. Because I think 
what they say about a chess player is that a great one doesn't just analyse every single move and what to do. They have these sort of, they know certain patterns and shapes. And Can you have a style as a chess player? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. What, what about that has been applied to your music, if any? You were describing these chance systems and now yeah, that ch- I think I about think it, chance systems like, yeah. and I mean, definitely. And also, when I'm writing, I'm think- I usually think in discrete as opposed to continuous processes. So I would think my music was discrete. Do you know what I mean? Like events happening rather oh, than oh, some yeah. kind of continuous. Okay, yeah. Um, well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's maybe I get that. And also, I do like there to be some form of direction, um, like a real goal-oriented composition. Not Perhaps there are several of these within one piece. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's goal-oriented rather than circular. Yeah, do you think what, that's how your music... Is almost is that almost the physical form of the music, like a chess game being played out, where there's moments of setup, and then all of a sudden you're you're in a situation where you know a conflict has to happen, but then that kind of gets resolved, and there's these moments of setup again. Maybe so. I mean, I don't think of it. I don't think of it as literally as that. No, but, no, no. Of yeah. course not. But but yeah, I'm maybe so. Yeah. Um, definitely like a tension and aggressive music and defensive music, maybe as well. That type of thing. I like extremes. So. They're either, it's either, maybe it's really attacking. Um, that's, that's a chess term, to attack or to defend. I mean, I'm just using them because we've been talking about chess. Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't have to use those terms. I like a very violent type of sound or a very, even silent type of sound. Well, yeah. either with nothing or very quiet. Well, yeah, I think that's good. I think it's a good place to leave it. Okay. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. <laughs>